Is anyone else? Um, does anyone else get a bit nervous when you walk past a lady at Kmart? You know, by the door. <laughs> is that just me? It's a quite a full-on thing, eh? Like I'm like, why don't you put the checkouts a little closer to the doors? And the worst-case scenario is when you haven't bought anything. You know, I've been there where you're like, because you know, you go in there, you're like, and sorry, I don't know. Me and Jen have got heaps of spare time, so we'll just often just go in there and muck around, you know, just go in there and just sort of check out what Kmart's got. And as you're kind of walking out without any receipt, you know, you're like, oh. And you're like, and then you're like, act normal. But you know that doesn't help because anyone that's like, you know, whistling, <laughs> you know, like acting normal. Um, but when you do buy something, you know, I don't again, it's probably just me, I don't know, but I, I try and like make the receipt quite prominent, you know, when you walk past, like, Pretty clear I bought something here, you know, and you're sort of like, you know. Yeah, it's a, I'm glad it's not just me. Well, this morning we celebrate the resurrection, and uh, the resurrection is like a giant receipt stamped across history for all people that believe. It's like you can, all that Jesus did on the cross, actually, like the, the resurrection is the receipt. Because <laughs> it's like, yeah, you talk about forgiving sins all day long. But it's like he rose again. Oh, he rose again. Well, we can just take everything a whole lot more seriously. So uh, one of my favourite, you know, I mean, like, how do we tackle this morning? There's a bit of pressure on Easter Sunday morning to hit it right. And I just gave up pretty much. So you'll probably pick that up in terms of the sermon. All we're going to do is we're going to work our way through uh, the, the text and I'm going to give um, a commentary, Sam Harvey's commentary on John chapter 20 and a little bit of 21. So if you do have a Bible, tablet, Android, uh, scroll, whatever you're using these days for your Bible, uh, if you want to open it to John chapter 20, you can track with us. But here's, uh, the Bible is just pretty brutally honest about how important the resurrection is. Um, and at the end of 1 Corinthians 15, there's a whole lot of like great statements about the resurrection. And um, one of my favourites is 1 Corinthians 15 verse 17. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Yay! It's like, and then like, you know, he's like, your preaching's in vain. So all the preachers are like, it's just like, it's just something black and white. Like, honestly, if the resurrection didn't happen, like, again, I'm, I'm impressed a number of surfers in the room this morning. It's like the surf's cranking this morning, and here you are. Like, unreal. Like, if the resurrection didn't take place, do you know how annoying that is, speaking as a surfer? It's like, well, this sucks. I just wasted so many Sunday mornings on this whole thing, and it's like totally futile. I love the Bibles that full on about it. It's like this whole, like our Christian faith is based on the events that we're going to engage with today. It's a big deal, a big deal. And so let's jump into the, uh, we're literally just going to work our way through John chapter 20. We'll be on the screens uh, and then we're um, going to celebrate at the end of our service and worship once more. So John chapter 20, we're just going to work our way through bit by bit. Exegetical sermon, hallelujah. Early on the first day of the week, we'll stop there. Um, You'll notice in John's gospel that uh, throughout, uh, he's very intentional about his language here. Uh, very intentional, you're about to discover. This is a great, this yarn, honestly, I've been loving preparing this talk. There's so much I've seen this time around that I've missed in terms of like God's sense of humor and the Muppets that are the disciples. But anyway, first day of the week, so John's trying to say like, this is like harking back to Genesis 1. There's a new creation. 
It's the first day again. First day of the week, very exciting. While it was still dark, now Mary Magdalene charges on in here because they had buried the body in a bit of a rush because Sabbath was coming and all this sort of stuff. And so they, um, and so they, she went with spices and all the rest of it um, and whatever they did to the body back then. Again, haven't done heaps of dive deep in the real commentaries. It's more just what is the spirit led in terms of commentary, but whatever. Uh, she sees the stones being removed from the entrance. Now, the stone had been put there because Jesus had been actually really upfront about the fact that he was going to die and be raised again. Jesus had said this to disciples a whole bunch of times. And so they were like, you know, let's stick a stone in front of the tomb so that they can't steal the body uh, and then say, oh, he, you know, he did what he said he was going to do. Uh, so they stuck the stone in front. She turns up, the stone's been rolled away. Now, the stone's been rolled away, not so Jesus can get out. Jesus was pretty sweet at this point in terms of getting through buildings or whatever, resurrected body. Again, pretty cool because like uh, the Bible calls his body the first fruits. So one day we're going to have a resurrected body. The, the creeds are like, we believe in the resurrection of the dead. So it's like, so it looks like you can go through walls with this new body. Cool, man. <laughs> so the stone wasn't rolled away, so Jesus get out. The stone was rolled away so that we could have a look in. And just go, ah, what's happening here? So Mary Magdalene kind of turns up, stone's been rolled away, removed from the entrance. Um, and, you know, there's that saying back in the day, trust but verify. It was during the Cold War, I think. One of the American presidents was like, yeah, trust but verify. So it's like, oh, you guys are saying that you're getting rid of the nuclear weapons. Cool, we trust that, but we're just going to verify, if you don't mind, that you've actually got rid of those nukes so that, you know. And so this is a little bit like the Bible is just dripping with all these, uh, like, moments that help us verify that the resurrection happened. There's just a ring of authenticity to the whole thing that I find quite compelling. Um, name, one of them is the fact that um, in these sacred texts of ours, it's not a big deal for us that Mary Magdalene's the first witness to the fact the tomb's empty, but this is just not a great idea 2,000 years ago because, the, sorry woman, we've come a long way, and I know that hate, you, know, you hate hearing this, but women were considered reliable witnesses 2,000 years ago in terms of like, legal matters and stuff. So if you were a movement who was like trying to get something going, you just wouldn't put this in. It's just like immediately people are like, ah, oh, so you've got like a non like a non-verifiable, non-trustworthy witness as your first cool, you know, good on you guys, smart move. So Mary Magdalene's the first person to witness uh, this thing. And again, I just think you'd only put that in there unless it actually happened. But we don't have to take the resurrection just on on trust, there's ways that we can verify, we can trust but verify. And for me, uh, the empty tomb uh, is, a, is a significant um, uh, piece of evidence in terms of Jesus' resurrection. Uh, Jesus appears to literally hundreds of people in the 40 days between his resurrection and his ascension. In 1 Corinthians 15 verse 6, it says there was at one moment there was 500 people at one time that saw the risen Jesus. Uh, thirdly, oh, in fact, here we go, the, the transformed disciples. I mean, the disciples in a second are going to meet them hiding in a room. Um, but, but the resurrection transformed these guys. And here's the thing. What, like, the teaching of Jesus is super important. So I'm not trying to minimize the teaching of Jesus. But there's been plenty of great moral teachers throughout history. What changed these disciples was not Jesus' teaching. I mean, that did down the track. But the thing that was the catalyst for their fire and the fire in the early church was that they saw Jesus risen again. That transformed these scaredy cat disciples into people willing to die for their faith. Significant uh, evidence. The impact of history. This goes, this reverberates throughout the world. 2,000 years later, we're in a room here in Napier celebrating this. 
I mean, that's amazing. And lastly, the experience of billions. I find this incredibly compelling where it's like um, Jesus ascended into heaven. He sent his spirit to, to equip the church to move forward. Uh, but, you know, I've met the risen Jesus. Now, I'm looking forward to seeing him face to face in terms of the flesh, but I've encountered his loving presence in my life. I've encountered the resurrected Son of God. He's met me. And so, again, these are some of the, the ways that we can, we can engage with the question of, did Jesus rise from the dead? It's not something that's just blind faith, but it is, uh, there is evidence that would indicate that this is a historical event. And again, as I said, 1 Corinthians 15, Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless and so is your faith, uh, blah, blah. Tish Harrison Warren says this, I'm a Christian today not because it answers all my questions about the world or about our current suffering, it does not. And not because I think it is a nice, coherent moral order by which to live my life. Not because I grew up this way or have fond feelings about felt boards and hymn sings. And not because it motivates justice or helps me know how to vote. I'm a Christian because I believe in the resurrection and if it isn't true, to hell with it. Tim Keller says, if you're looking at Christianity, start by looking at Jesus' life as it is shown to us in the Gospels, especially the resurrection. Don't begin as modern people do by asking yourself if Christianity fits who you are. If, if, if the resurrection happened, then there is a God who created you for himself. And ultimately, yes, Christianity fits you whether you can see it now or not. If he's real and risen, then just like Paul, even though he had none of the answers to any of his questions, you'll have to say, what would you have me do, Lord? The resurrection just takes that whole thing off the table in terms of like some nice little self-centered consumeristic kind of faith that we stick. If he rose from the dead, then he is Lord. And then we come to him and it's like, well, how do we live now, Lord? Let's go. Verse 2. We're going to move slightly quicker through the verses. Everyone's like, Kroogie. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved. John wrote this. How humble. The one Jesus loved. And so she runs back. The first witness, the first apostle to the apostles is this woman, Mary. How cold. They've taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they've put him. She doesn't realize he's resurrected yet. She's just seen the empty tomb, presumes his body's been stolen. So the Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. The other disciple being John. Both were running. There's no more male verse in all of Scripture than this. But the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. Like we are dealing with the greatest event in human history. And every flippin' Easter, we have to be reminded that John bet Peter in a running race. It's like there's no more male verse in all of Scripture than that one. So then John bent over, he looked at, he bent over, so he's like looking in, and he looks at the strips of linen lying there, but he didn't go in. And this is their personalities coming through so beautifully. Like John's a little timid. He's loved by Jesus. But he's a little scared about going in because, you know, what's inside the tomb. Peter came along behind him. Noted, and went straight into the tomb. Peter, you know, in there, saw the strips of linen lying there as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place separate from the linen. And finally, the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first. <laughs> oh, I love it, eh? It's so good. Went inside, and he saw and believed. They still, not, they still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. Verse 11, now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. Now she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb 
and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked a woman, why are you crying? They've taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they've put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. I love it. Again, there's so many times where they don't realize that it's Jesus. Like they just they weren't expecting it, even though Jesus had told them a number of times. Again, this is why the twelve Muppets. I love it. So he told them a whole bunch of times this was going to happen, and he's standing there, and they're just like they can't see him. And again, for Mary, uh, it's probably there's a fair bit of snot and tears involved. I suspect. Which okay, so you've got to give us some grace for all of that. And so Jesus asks her, "Woman, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for?" Thinking he was the gardener. Again, this is Genesis 1 all over. We're back in a garden, friends. The new creation's burst into the world. She said, Sir, if you've carried him away, can you tell me where you've put him and I will get him? Then Jesus said to her, Mary. I mean, this is such a great moment. I mean, she's distraught. She's crying. She's wrecked. And what a strange thing Jesus asked her. Why are you crying? And he goes, (laughs) but like, I just love Jesus' sense of humor here. It's like, why are you crying? And then it's like, and then, and then, you know, where have you put him? And then she just said, he just says, Mary. And like, somehow he said it just the way that he always said it. Oh, you know, there's all these little moments that I can't wait when I get to heaven and be like, can you just replay that on a screen somewhere? Because I want to check it out. Like, what? Mary. Mary, mother, you know, it's like, how did, how did he say Mary? He said it in such a way that it was like, oh, oh. She turned towards him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabbanai, which means teacher. And she's, and she's like, don't, you know, don't hold on to me. It's like, oh, Mary, not yet ascended to my father. And this gives us great, great commission. Go tell my brothers and tell them, I'm ascending to my Father and your Father and to my God and your God. Like this is the moment the narrative just starts dripping with joy. He's risen. She just, she just, I mean, I can't, I've tried to imagine what Mary must have felt in that moment when it was like this person who had treated her with such dignity and respect and such love. And he just says one word, Mary. You know, there's been so much grief, and Mary had gone through so much grief, and she was at a time where she was deeply grieving. And the good news is that the risen Jesus meets us in our grief, and sometimes we don't recognize him, but he comes to us and speaks our name and ministers to us in our grief and gives us hope. And I want to just say that the good news is that he's risen again and that he meets us in our grief today still. He's still meeting us in our grief. You know, um, after the Christchurch earthquakes, a very prominent theologian was interviewed by uh, my friend Steve Graham at, at Laidlaw. And he had gone through a cyclone in Australia and had come over to support some of the guys at Bible College. And, he, and they asked him, what was your overarching um, sort of, what was the legacy of that on you as a person going through that heavy cyclone like we've gone through? And he said, it left me with a, a bit of a sadness about the world a lingering sadness about the world. And I don't know about you, but I feel like that a bit with what we've gone through recently. It's like it's just sad that our world's like this, you know, that it's groaning. The Bible says creation's groaning, you know, and all of this destruction. Like there's a grief that I think collectively we're feeling, whether you can name it or not. 
It's legitimately there for most people. And not only that, but like when the pressure comes on, um, liquefaction comes up, as we discovered in Christchurch, you know. So I don't know what your term's been like, but if you're carrying grief either because of choices you've made or things that have gone on in your life, sadness that's happened, Jesus has risen and he wants to meet us. First and foremost in our grief. Isn't that lovely? And embrace us and commission us to go. Um, there's a um, gospel artist that I've got really into the last little while. Some of you guys have know this because I've sent you a lot of videos. Um, this guy called Ty Tribbett. <laughs> Love him. Just so cool. Um, just full noise, proper African-American gospel. Like, proper. You know, like, there's one white guy you're about to see in a band. I'm going to play a, a clip. He just sticks out like a sore thumb. He just doesn't have the vibe that you need if you're in an African-American gospel band, right? And he wrote this song, which has speaking, been speaking to my soul. It's one of the best modern-day laments. I posted it on my Facebook page the other day, actually. Um, and it's called, We're Going to Be All Right. But it's just a great modern-day lament because the verses are just this great, brutal declaration of our reality, like, the world isn't the way it should be with all this stuff going on. And yet the chorus is this great psalm of hope. It's like, we're still going to be all right. And this is where the resurrection just speaks into our core and is like, we're going to be all right. Check, you know, check it out. Here's a couple of, here's a minute or two of the, the clip. In these last days, evil times will come and it's here today. Look at all the hate, senseless crime and murder every day. Human trafficking, racism, police brutality, bullying, rape, child molestation. Shun the appearance of evil, I pray. Let your kingdom come and let your will be done. Let your glory rise, let your sun shine. Like, and that's on NPR, that's the Tiny Desk, some of you guys, Tiny Desk Concert, secular radio station, seven or eight million subscribers on YouTube, not to mention the people watching it live, like just legit, love it. But it's like, we're gonna, that, is a, that is so helpful, I've been on, that song's been on repeat. It doesn't deny our reality. That's hyper faith, which is no faith at all, because that's denial. We do not deny our reality, but it's going to be all right. Because Jesus is with us. And, and D.A. Carson, phenomenal theologian, says this, you are not suffering anything a good resurrection can't fix. <laughs> Hallelujah. You're not suffering anything a good resurrection. This is why this Sunday is so important, because it lifts our gaze from our light and momentary troubles and lifts our gaze to the hope that we have in Jesus, that He's risen again, will return in glory, will restore the world the way it should be, and His glory will cover the world the way the waters cover the sea. We will have resurrected bodies. It doesn't matter the pain you're going through, the disappointment, the grief you're carrying. And, and honestly, I'm a pastor. I've done funerals for folks in this church. I know the grief. That we're, but one day we will be restored and reunited with those that we love. Hallelujah. There's nothing you're going through that a good resurrection can't fix. And the Bible says that this time on the earth is like a breath. Ha! 
gone. Like, man, I get that. I'm 41, and it's like, hum, hum, hum. I was talking to Aaron this morning, and it's like, two months done. He's like, bro, freak, it's, it's April. It's April, you know? It's like, yeah, but, and, and, one, and again, is why it's good. My job's to remind you of your mortality. You are going to die pretty soon. Hallelujah. Be encouraged. So it just puts in context everything we're going through is that we have a hope because he's risen from the dead. The light of moment troubles. Nothing, you, I know some of you are going through unbelievable pain. Nothing a good resurrection can't fix. Hallelujah. His resurrection and our resurrection one day. We're going to be all right. We're going to be all right. We're going to be all right. The future is unimaginably wonderful. Thanks be to God. Verse 19, on the evening of the first day of the week, John keeps reminding us it is a new creation. The disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders. They had seen what happened to Jesus. They were his followers. They are naturally freaking out. No judgment from us, friends. I'm hiding in that room with them, triply checking that door is locked, man. I'm freaking out. I've witnessed this man I loved get executed in the most brutal way. And this, this Roman Empire is not afraid just to do that at the drop of a hat. They're full of fear. And Jesus comes and stands among them and says, Peace be with you. And after he said this, he showed them his hands and his side, and the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. In the literal Greek, there's mega joy. Like, what, is that, what does that look like? When the room sees Jesus... They're just tripping out. They see his hands and side and feet. And it's like, and then they're overjoyed. Like, what does that look like? You know, us Western culture, we're all conservative. And it's like we do our praise song and we barely get a clap going in church. And it's all, you know. What does it look like to be overjoyed? Because Jesus, that's that just in this room. One of them's running around just yelling. I just guarantee it. This is unreal. You know, and it's like just taking two of the hugs and high fives and sticking their hands. And all. It's just it's like this total, there's no, probably Peter. <laughs> and, he, and he meets them there. Um, and he's like, I love that Jesus is like, check it out. You know, it's again a very guy thing. Steve Bradley got his knee fixed the other day and like posted a photo on our leadership thread of his old knee. Some things you cannot unsee. But Jesus is there in the room, and you're like, check it out. You know, he showed them his hands, uh, his hands and his side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the, saw the Lord. It brings joy into our reality. Now, this bit's fun. Now, Thomas, Thomas known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. And here's Thomas, doesn't believe a word anyone says, love him. Love him, but unless I see the nail marks on his side and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand aside, I will not believe. Now, this next bit I'd, I'd missed. Verse 26, a week later, a week later, Jesus leaves it a week before he turns up. And, and Thomas is like, you guys were hallucinating. There's a group psychosis thing going on here. and this, He wouldn't believe it. So Jesus, I love again, I reckon like Jesus... There's again, I haven't read commentaries on this, but I reckon Jesus wanted to make him feel like an utter idiot for a week. 
and then reveal himself. And so then the, the, next, the, the doors were locked a little bit later. Jesus comes and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Stop doubting and believe. You know, I don't think he just left Thomas for a week just to make him look like even more of a muppet. I think he left him in a, for that week to finally deal with Thomas's doubts to finally deal with that deep doubt that was in Thomas. Again, I love that this is in the Scripture because, friends, um, we, we have to be honest about our doubts. We've got to, like, I've got to preach this every single Easter Sunday. I have to wrestle with my doubts about the resurrection, and this is why it's helpful for me to get into the text, and it's helpful to me to listen to me preach. It builds my faith. It reminds me of why I've, I'm all in again. On this whole thing. But I love that in the scriptures, doubt is not like punished. Like Jesus meets us in our doubts. Again, so he's met people in their grief. He's met the disciples in their fear. And now he's meeting Thomas in his doubts. And Thomas declares to him, my Lord and my God. This is the only place in scripture where Jesus is explicitly referred to as God. And it comes from the lips of Thomas of all people. Thomas says the greatest statement of faith. And this is because he's honest. Like, we can work with honest. God can work with honest. He struggles when people are trying to play games with him and with one another. It frustrates him. It's tricky. So if you doubt, it's okay. But be honest with God about it. Like, use your sin, doubt, lack of faith. Use it all to propel you towards God, to wrestle with him, rather than to see you get distant from him. So just bring those wrestles to him, unanswered prayers, all of that. Just come to God and give him both barrels. The Psalms are filled with brutal honesty. And we're invited to do the same. So good. So there he is, Lord, my Lord and my God. And then I love this. Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. But listen, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. You know where that puts us in the category of? Blessed. Blessed. Jesus in that moment blesses us because we have chosen to believe even though we haven't seen his physical resurrected body. We're just basing uh, this faith on the evidence that we can see in Scripture and our experience of his love and mercy. So there's a blessing. I, I love what Zahn says here on his book, When Everything's on Fire. He uses big words, but just deal with it. Google them later. Direct knowledge concerning ultimate transcendence, everyone's lost already, is only possible if the transcendent one initiates contact. The God-initiated contact is what Paul means by revelation. This is awesome. Christianity is not a series of proofs. It is the confession based on the revelation that Jesus Christ is Lord. Though I claim that Christianity is credible, it is not provable. The revelation of Jesus Christ cannot be proven or disproven. It can only be proclaimed. And the proclamation can either be believed or disbelieved. But Paul insists that the capacity to believe is inherently present in the proclamation. The proclamation is self-authenticating because it is the word of Christ. Faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. So it's all or nothing. Christianity is not... It's not an optimistic pile of stories. It's either, it's either a power that's there or it's not. It either recreates you from the ground up or it's empty. 
So I proclaim to you today, Jesus Christ is risen. He is God and he was crucified for our sins and he is risen. He's risen indeed. And as I proclaim that, you can either choose to believe it or disbelieve it. But, it's, but this is what we're about. It's the proclamation. And in that place, there's a revelation. Yes, this is true. It's coming to land, a little bit of John 21. And they left their boats. I'm going to just summarize some of this for the sake of time. Jesus appears to the disciples. They've left their boats at the beginning of the, of, uh, the Gospels. We see them fishing. Jesus calls them to go fishing. It's interesting here, like you just see them go back to the boats uh, and again, just there's a whole lot of confusion around like, like what do you do now? And I love this in verse 3, Simon Peter's like, I'm going out for fish, for a fish. Simon Peter told them, and they said, yeah, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat. And then they're rubbish fishermen. They're never catching anything. Like every time we meet them in the Gospels, they're just having a rubbish fish. Uh, and so then Jesus, uh, to, who, who can resonate with that? Like, you know, there's a few people here probably feel like there's a family curse on our, our family line anyway. My, uh, they go out for a fish. They go back to their old world. And, and this is why Jesus has to, at the end, after his resurrection, he does 40 days of teaching in Acts. It says about the kingdom of God. He gives them a block course about what this is, whole thing's about before he ascends to heaven and then they're still await. Ten days later, they get filled with the Holy Spirit, and the church begins, and they are away. But at this point, after the resurrection, they're still, <laughs> still all over the map in terms of what they do now, even though he's risen from the dead. And so then Jesus is standing there on the shore again. He gives them the same instructions to throw their nets on the other side of the boat, and again, they catch a crazy amount of fish, and Peter realizes, Ooh, that's Jesus on the shore. And again, there's this really weird moment in verse 7. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, It is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him for he had taken it off and jumped in the water. I feel like that should be the other way around, Peter, but cool, let's get dressed and then jump in the water. Whatever, man. Uh, then they landed on the fish and um, they landed on the sorry, they land on the fish. They, Peter, Peter dives on in there. Um, they had this, uh, the rest of the disciples didn't want to get rid of the fish, obviously, so they towed the net full of fish. Um, and when they landed there, Jesus already had some fish, I think. Uh, no, Jesus had some, yep, he already had some fish on it and some bread, verse 9. Uh, Jesus says, bring some of the fish you've caught. Simon Peter climbs out of the boat. He's back in the boat now again, okay. Um, and then again, just some of you guys really will resonate with this. Um, Verse 11. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat, dragged the net ashore. It's full of large fish, 153. Jesus has risen from the dead, and one of the disciples has gone, one, two, three. Some of you guys are like this, eh? Honestly, like Jesus is standing there, June, and and even though there's, a, there's literally fish and bread on the barbecue ready to go, you're like, no, no, no. Firstly, let's tidy up how many fish we've got. One, two. So God bless you, disciples of Jesus that need to count how many fish there are. Uh, and then, <clears throat> but here's what's so beautiful about this. I mean, it's, so, it's just so earthy. I mean, just on the beach cooking a barbecue. There's Jesus. It's just so, it's so beautiful. It's just so, but the thing that blows me away is just like, it makes me love Jesus so much every time you, you think about this stuff. I mean, he's, he's the Logos. Like, 
he's the resurrected son of God. He's the one who holds the universe together in his power. And there he is serving the boys some breakfast. What a lo- isn't he wonderful? Isn't he? I mean, Philippians 2, he's so servant-hearted. All the stuff's happened, and he's the one making bread, cooking some fish. Isn't he lovely? And he calls us to, to follow him, to be servants, to follow him there. So Jesus meets us in our grief on Resurrection Sunday and brings healing and comfort. Jesus meets us in our fears on Resurrection Sunday and brings his peace. Jesus meets us in our doubts on Resurrection Sunday and brings faith. And Jesus meets us in our confusion and brings us a purpose to our life, a purpose to serve and bless and care for others. Come into land with this. N.T. Wright, who's written just the most incredible stuff on the resurrection, uh, he says this, he points out, he says, it's interesting in the Gospels that the line is not, Jesus is raised, therefore look up into the sky and keep looking because one day you'll be going there with him. Many hymns, prayers, and Christian sermons have tried to pull the Easter story in that direction, but the line of thought within the Gospels themselves is, Jesus is raised, therefore God's new world has begun. And therefore we, you, and everybody else are invited to, not, to be not only beneficiaries of that new world, but participants in making it happen. That's where the gospel story takes the resurrection. He's risen from the dead. New creation has burst into the world. And now we get to partner with God to see that new creation spread around the world. And one day he will return in glory and bring the work to completion. So we've been given a job to do. The resurrection commissions us and sends us to bring that resurrection life into the world today. The church is called to live now according to the model of the future reign of God. We're given a foretaste of the kingdom of God that will one day be established in full. So the church is called to be a spiritual, social, and economic reality of the kingdom of God now, demonstrating the justice and righteousness and love and peace of that age to come. We're the people that say, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We're taking that future reality and bringing it into the future here in this community. And that's why Eugene Peterson says we're called to practice resurrection. We're called to learn together what does it look like to be a resurrected community filled with faith, hope, and love, Uh, seeing God's kingdom come in our lives and in the world around us and our families and and our regions, that, that we would embody the kingdom in this place now. The church does this in obedience to its Lord and anticipation that the kingdom of this world will become the kingdom of our Lord. That's that's the hope that we have. So this morning we proclaim that Jesus has risen from the dead. There is a new world that is bursting into the old and we can taste it and experience it and participate it as we look forward to that work being in completion. So today we feel the joy. We feel even in the midst of all the crazy around us, we feel the joy, we feel the peace, we feel the faith and we afresh consider the purpose that we've been given to us by God. It's going to be all right. It's going to be all right. Amen. Let's stand together.